Hey, welcome to A Gay and a Non-Gay. Um, I'm Dan Hudson, I'm non-gay. He's James Barr, and he's gay. Welcome What's... to the episode. Um, the world's really heavy right now. I'm feeling pretty... I think the Megan interview just really hit me when Megan was talking about suicidal thoughts and how she sort of methodically planned how to take her own life. That really hit me a lot. And just so much of what she said and how the media is reacting to that and the reaction of people online saying that it's made up and that she's a bully. It it feels very emblematic of the way people talk about mental health. So I just feel a bit triggered. So I'm quite excited about today's episode because it's going to take me out of that and put me in an amazing place with one of our favourite people ever. Yes, so Juno's back. Yes, for International Women's Day, we welcome Juno Dawson to a gay and a non-gay. Juno originally came on nearly three years ago in March 2018 for a gay, a non-gay and a trans as our very first guest. Yeah, and her new book, What's the Tea, is an exploration of what it means to be a young transgender and or non-binary person in the 21st century. It's a kind of go-to handbook for the young trans non-binary community. It's been delayed for a bit, thanks to Liz Truss. We'll get to that, but it's finally out now. In that first episode, Juno said that transphobia is a forest fire that needs urgent attention. So three years later, we ask her if things have got better or worse for trans people and how things currently are for trans youth in the UK following the landmark High Court ruling against puberty blockers for children. We're also going to hear all about Juno's fiancé, Max. We're going to get an update on her various TV projects and how Liz Truss, the Minister for Women and Equality, is the reason for the book's delay. Support trans youth, head to mermaids.org.uk and thetrevorproject.org. And thanks for listening to Again and Non-Gay. Here's Juno. Again and Non-Gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. They're like a lovely little couple, except they're not. This is the first time that we've welcomed back a guest to our podcast. Oh, have you run out of guests? So you're just going <laughs> back now. Is it like all stars? Welcome to a gay and a non-gay. When we first interviewed you, I mean, there's so much to sort of catch up on, but we had this huge conversation about how awful straight men, some straight men, treat trans women. And obviously that is still happening in the world. But for you, you are about to be a married woman. So can you tell us about Max? We met on Tinder and I realised quite quickly on there was something worth investigating. I thought he was very, very smart and we could have real conversations about things Um, in a way that I hadn't been able to have when I was dating a lot of sort of straight cis men. Big big questions about sort of feminism and trans, you know, because he'd never really dated a trans person, actually never dated a trans person. So it felt like there was something there. And then quite quickly, I realised there was something to it um, when he nearly dumped me. And I I was quite upset because I'd lied about my age. I did not know this. What happened? (laughs) I mean, I saw you come out with your real age. Is that because of this? That's why. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it was very good feminist reasons. That's such a lie. They're not feminist reasons at all. Tell us what happened. Um, Because on dating apps, people won't even speak to you if you're over 30. So I had set my Tinder age to 30, which at the time, like, I think I'd knocked off six years. I was like 36. And so... um. When he found out that I was 36, he did get the hump. 
rightly and sort of threw his toys out the pram because one of the big and deep conversations we'd had had been about the importance of honesty but I've meant like cheating on each other honesty which is a different kind of honesty everybody knows (laughs) there are lots of different kinds as it turns out it was forgivable and then we we moved on it's making my heart melt and it's really important that we hear these happy stories because we hear so much trauma in our community so it's it's beautiful actually have have I made this up or did you tell me this I think you said at student pride once that you played Max our interview with you so that you didn't have to explain all the admin and he could just listen to it Uh, in fact I think quite early on he listened to the gay non-gay actually because you know it it is a learning experience you know if you are from outside the community well Dan will know if you're coming in from outside the community there is this language that queer people speak that we so take for granted and you know your conversations can just you know whipping through like the etiquette of grinder and stuff you forget that a lot of people don't use grinder kind of but then what was great about Max and one of the reasons why I knew he was a keeper was that A, there was a willingness to learn, but also he totally recognised that my life was very different to his life. And, you know, he always acknowledged that, you know, dating for me was was perilous in so many different ways. Did he have any follow-up questions about the pterodactyl porn that we discussed? <laughs> um, not, not that I remember, but the thing, you know, this is, this is interesting as well. I think that 10 years, the difference in our age is that Max is what we would refer to as a digital native. So he has always had broadband. And I think it's just really hard to shock people who have had the internet their whole lives. Because, you know, what haven't they seen? They've seen it all. And it's so interesting because all of Max's friends are basically still his school friends, so they're all his age. When he told them he was dating a trans woman, they could not have given less of a shit. Because, good God, there's, there's more exciting things in the world than a transgender woman a gay and a non-gay i actually really wanted to start the podcast by talking about something so wonderfully happy because i don't think we see enough stories of trans happiness and i wonder do you ever feel the responsibility of that do you feel like you need to share queer joy i don't think i need to or i don't feel a responsibility but i like doing it you know my life would have been different had i had role models you know there's, there's a line in is it in wonderland yeah, I think there's a line in, in Wonderland, my last novel, where Alice says, you know, she how she scours the Instagrams of trans celebrities like an archaeologist looking for clues that they lead normal adult lives with, with partners and boyfriends and girlfriends and kids. And so I think that is, it's, you know, it's something that I didn't have and my life was worse for it because I'm not the only trans person working in the media. It's, it's cool because, you know, there's... Jake and Hannah Graff with their baby getting married and Freddie McConnell with his son and Rhiannon Stiles has a partner out in Berlin and you just you know everybody's living their lives and I think that's that's the most important thing it's just that there's that no one of us feels under pressure to kind of be held up as a role model especially as a woman role model you just get torn down yeah I mean speaking of which one of the reasons we wanted to get you on this week for International Women's Day was sort of a response to the trolls that came for me and you last summer when I tweeted saying you were the bravest woman I knew. And I stand by that. And it really like lit some torch paper with a bunch of... Oh God, I remember that, yeah. I felt like I'd opened a door that you probably wouldn't want opened. 
Because <laughs> that, that's the other sort of the, the weird thing, which is because any trans person on the internet has experienced that door opening up dozens of times. And you can see it coming. So like this week, the week we're recording, the Royal Society of Literature did some tweets around LGBTQ History Month. And the Royal Society of Literature just tweeted author Juna Dawson with like a little infographic with one of my quotes from one of my books and I was just like right well we can set down the timer now you know how many days will it be before before the transphobes pick up on this usually it's about 24 to 48 hours later because right. they they sniff things out and certainly if you go to what started as mothering website I don't I won't say which one but I think you can probably guess um there are forums like dozens and dozens of transphobic forums, you know, targeting myself or Monroe Bergdorf or Paris Lees, particularly trans women, because trans men kind of cause problems for transphobes. So they sort of steer, steer traffic your way. So what will have happened is if I'm on the television or if I do anything significant in say like The Guardian or, you know, one of the big papers or something, there will be a forum will start over there and they'll be like, uh, look what this, oh uh, no, look what's happening now. And then, you know, in the time, then it will kind of circle back to where it began and then they will start hurling abuse at the, you know, the magazine or the, you know, so then all of a sudden like the Royal Society of Literature, you know, that sort of that insidious organisation, you know, which just being hurled with kind of like, this is not a woman, oh my God, you know, could you not have celebrated a real woman? And, and then they tried to do gotchas as well, like Juno Dawson once punched a seagull in the face or something. You know, they, they really dig for anything incriminating in your past. You know, I've become so hardened to it. But I think it is a real eye-opener for when your friends and colleagues get dragged in. And it is really, you know, and, and it's happened to cis men and cis women I know who are gay or straight. It's happened to, like, my friend, the editor, Jo Elvin. Um, when when she published me in Glamour magazine, you know, she said, and she was like, oh my God, I had no idea. And I was like, yeah, this is what it's like to be a trans woman online. Because what I will say is that a lot of that abuse doesn't happen in real life. Um, because by and large, people don't run up to you at Euston Station holding your old author pictures going, this is the real Juno Dawson! Because that's, that's crazy! But somehow the internet has ruined all our lives. Trans women are women. I wanted to just pick up on something you mentioned a minute ago about how trans men cause problems for transphobes. Um, I feel like I know what that means, but can you just like explain that to people that might not? The existence of trans men really spoils a lot of the narratives about trans women. Because if trans women are scary perverts who get sexual kicks out of dressing as women, what about trans men? Do they get sexual kicks out of dressing as men? And, you know, obviously if I, if I get banned from using women's bathrooms, then all of a sudden cis women will be sharing bathrooms with men who look like Fox Fisher or Jake Graff or Laith Ashley, you know, kind of they will be sharing restrooms with men. So it just completely ruins the converse, a lot of the conversations. So the myth around trans men and the really sort of like pernicious stereotype is that they are sort of like confused girls who have mutilated their bodies. You know, even, even if they're, you know, well into their 20s and 30s, you know, that they, they are lost. 
They're lost souls who just need to be brought back into the fold, regardless of their sexuality. Last time we spoke, you called the UK press transphobia a forest fire. Have things got worse or better? What do you think? No, it rages on, because obviously at the moment there's been real issues in the UK with um, trans youth have lost the right to puberty-blocking medication, um, which is prescribed to a very, very small cohort of young people, to be honest. And I think what people should understand is that people have been taking hormone blockers um, for many, many decades. Initially, they weren't prescribed for trans teenagers. They, they were prescribed to children who entered puberty too young. And so they, they cooked up this hormone blocking treatment to stop small children from going through puberty. And then they realised, well, this could work. This could have a secondary usage, you know. This this treatment would stop trans kids from from going through huge biological changes, which they will then later in life have to have surgery to reverse. Right now, the way things stand, there's going to be a big appeal in the, in the human court of human rights, the Supreme Court, I think, actually. Young people have lost the right to start on their, their treatment as teenagers because of one case, you know, because of one case of a person who regretted the treatment she'd had. But, of course, the, the key thing about the case, the young, the young woman's called Kira Bell, and she was an adult. She was an adult when she received her medical intervention. So actually the changes they've brought in wouldn't have saved even Kira. <laughs> because right now adults can still get their treatment. And this is this is life-saving treatment that we're talking about, right? It makes a huge difference. And, you know, if, if you talk to people like the wonderful um, Maxine Heron, the, the model, um, you know, she received puberty blockers, the model... <laughs> Well, for one thing, it turns you into a model, apparently. And Charlie, Charlie Sayers used puberty blockers. You know, speak to any younger trans person, like any trans person under the age of 20, and they probably received puberty blockers. And yeah, they really do say that. I don't know how I would have got through my teenage years. I mean, I did, but only because I wasn't aware of them. You know, I didn't know it was an option. So, you know, I kind of just got on with it and it was... A bit shit, but the difficult thing for trans teenagers now is that they know there's treatment out there, but they're being denied it, which I think is unspeakably cruel. So what can we do, Juno, to fight this as allies and what can the trans community do? Obviously speaking out is a, is one thing, but what's the What's the best way to do that? But I think you're doing it. I think, you know, I think you two should sleep really easily of an evening knowing that you are you are making your contribution because actually <laughs> the problem is the media loves the narrative, doesn't it? And the, the, the narrative is kind of that this is feminists versus trans women. So the people that they never speak to are feminists who are supportive of trans people because it just doesn't work. Like all my friends are cisgender women who are feminists who when I came out as trans like, oh my God, welcome. We are so happy that you can be the most honest version of yourself. All my author friends are feminists and are very accepting of trans people. It just doesn't suit the newspapers for us to get along, I'm afraid, because they thrive on conflict. And at the moment, of course, that there's, you know, there's this increasing attempt to split the LGB from the T. Now, I don't want to give any oxygen of publicity to that that hateful group who are trying to split the T off. 
Again, when we look to the real fascists of the world, the Trumps and the Ted Cruises and the Putins, they don't separate lesbian, gay and trans. You know, we are all the same kind of abomination. So if we start splitting up LGBT into smaller, more vulnerable groups, what do we think is going to happen? You know, we're just even easier to target. And so I think there's such a power in us sticking together and such a power in us celebrating because actually being visibly joyful and having our prides and having our parties and having our weird internet culture where we just talk about drag race and one division, that's really good because it, it has always felt that the media has tried to dehumanise us. You know, with gay men in particular in the 90s, it was, you know, perverts and AIDS victims and, you know, really dehumanising stuff. And, and with trans people, it's a lot of the same stuff. We're here to get your children. We're going to turn your children trans. And, you know, it's all the same moral panic. Um, and so maybe the best defence that we have as, as either gay people, trans people or allies is to just be joyful and be visible and to keep celebrating each other. Because I think the transphobes, they want the fight. They really like the fight. And so actually the best thing sometimes you can do is not give them the fight. And I don't engage with anything. I have the fastest block finger in West Sussex. Like, I, <laughs> I just do not engage. And I realised as well that it's like distracts from your work. And by work, I mean all the kind of work that we do, which is I, I realised I was spending a lot of my time defending trans lives and not promoting my best-selling novels. That, that's what I should be doing. That's my job. And so I, you know, I try to keep my social medias in particular very, very professional now. Um, sometimes I talk about trans stuff. Particularly, I try to celebrate where my trans friends are doing really, really well um, and, and to celebrate the great things that are doing and, and to push good art like Pose or Euphoria or novels by trans people or trans poetry or you know Travis Alabanza whose plays are so good you know Overflow and Burgers were phenomenal and you know I'm so I feel so lucky to be alive at the same time that Travis Alabanza is making art you know and let's talk about that instead of getting into like little slappy matches about Mr. Potato Head isn't gender neutral. Oh, Mr. Potato Head is a man. Like, what? <laughs> I'm so happy for Potato Head. <laughs> I mean, Potato Head, get your life. But those kind of things really boil my piss because do you know what? They know what they're doing. Some craven PR monster in a firm somewhere in London was like, I'll tell you what gets in the news, making things gender neutral. And of course, what they don't realise is that there is huge fallout for us. I mean, luckily, because now I've, I'm zero tolerance, I was not asked to go on the news to talk about <laughs> MX Potato Head. But, you know, there was some, some somebody actually, somebody lowered themselves to go on Good Morning Britain today to talk about oh, no. MX Potato Head. And I'm just like, why would you do that? Why are you getting involved in this absolute bin fire when are trans not- people are waiting three years for a referral? That's what we should be talking about. And that's something that we can do as allies as well, is that when they try to 
engages in these conversations about gender neutral potato heads you say oh i'm sorry i think we should talk about the fact that trans people have to wait three years for a first appointment on the nhs james did you hear that no more tweets from our or instagrams from our account about mr <laughs> mx potato heads please. wow you just misgendered potato head Dan. Sorry. you know what though would you rather a potato got the heat than trans people because it's just a potato but it comes back to trans people because it comes back to your war on woke so despite the fact that no trans person in the world was asking for a gender neutral potato head the headlines in the papers will read woke activists transgender activists demand that mr potato head is gender neutral when of course what we're demanding is swift healthcare and legal recognition and access to a new birth certificate. And so I think actually always circling back to the needs of the community are one of the best things that an ally can do. I hope that awful PR person who came up with this gets shingles or something because they don't get the clap back. We get the clap back and it's exhausting and boring so i hear what you're saying about just ignore people and that's sort of what i do but what if you've got a really good comeback i think the old saying that don't roll in the mud with pigs you'll both get dirty and only the pig will like it yeah that's a good shout someone actually messaged us some i don't know it's nonsense i think it was transphobia i don't know it could have been anything and james replied saying oh thanks i've just made a donation to mermaids in your name and the guy said oh thanks yeah that well that's Again, positive action, turn turn a negative into a positive. Absolutely. I'm going to delete the potato head post. <laughs> a gay and a non-gay with Juno Dawson. So Juno, I saw on uh, social media that Liz Truss, uh, the women's inequality minister, she's the reason... Um, for the book's delay, because it was supposed to come out ages ago, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was like my last novel came out during lockdown number one, so that was a pain in the arse. And then actually bookshops did reopen over the summer, so we were quite positive that What's the Tea was supposed to come out last August. But that was right, you know, we were hearing on the grapevine that Liz Truss was about to try and make things actively worse for trans people. Now, I'm told that actually at the 11th hour some quite important people in the House of Lords within the Tory party, within the, like, the LGBT conservative movement, said, oh my God, stop. And that's why in the end, when they finally announced their review of the Gender Recognition Act, they said, well, we're just not going to change it. We're like, we've decided it's fine as it is, um, which is better than it going backwards, I guess. But yeah, there was that a br- was the scariest thing that it was... Oh my God, it was terrifying. You know, there was all kinds of talk on the internet and DMs and WhatsApps going off kind of about, oh my gosh, like, is this about to become like a rollback? Because then that would have, that could potentially have huge implications. Again, this is why we've all got to stick together because it could have huge implications for gay and lesbian and bisexual people as well. You know, gay and bisexual people are protected by the same laws that protect trans people. So if they start rolling back laws for trans people, your laws are fucked as well. Less so, less so, <laughs> But like the, the Equality Act would protect, for example, also a person with a disability. You know, so it would apply as well to straight and, straight and cis people too. Um, you know, it's the same legislation that means if you and your boyfriend wanted to book yourself into a hotel, a hotel can't turn you away. Mm. So... 
in the same way that I can't be turned away from a women's toilet, you can't be turned away from a hotel or a pub, you know. And, and so if we if trans women lose the right to do a little poo at Victoria Station, then potentially gay and lesbian people will lose the right. When you break it down to that, I mean, it is so stupid. No, no one wants to use public toilets anyway. They are gross. The, oh, the I ones think... at Victoria are quite nice now. They've, oh, made, them, they've made them really bougie, yeah. Ooh, very, in, very, very sort of a bit sort of like Instagram, a bit millennial. Everything's rose gold. <laughs> it's got what we were ranting about now. My rant has peaked Liz, out. Liz, tr- well, the, Liz Trust, but the book oh, is God, now out. Yeah. The book yes, is the book. now out. So, so in the end, actually, we, we could have released last August because actually nothing changed. But we had to, obviously a book goes to print about a month before before it's released. So we just, you know, in the summer, I remember emailing the poor editor who was on maternity leave as well. And I was like, we just can't release this book because we just don't know what's going to happen. So we, we moved it back and we kicked it into the long grass. So we set the February the 18th release. And then this fucking court case with with Kira Bell dropped as well so in, in I think that was like December or November so we were like oh my god what do we do now do we delay it again but we very we very quickly got the ruling and so let's be very very clear about the ruling of the court case young people can still get hormone blockers on the NHS it just means that their doctors or their specialists might have to almost go to the court in order to get it but it's not impossible it is not beyond the realm of possibility that young trans people can still get hormone blockers on the nhs they can still get them privately if their parents supports them as well obviously but as well there is going to be there is going to be an appeal so at the moment in in the version of what's the tea that's out now we've had to say you know this is what hormone blockers do there might be barriers to getting them let's see what happens and and what we'll have to keep doing. And this was also true of of its predecessor, This Book is Gay, which is probably every year or so we will have to keep updating the book. Two unlikely friends take on the world. So, do you know, before you go, please tell us about all your TV projects. When are we going to see your books on the TV? Yeah, oh, it goes on TV. It's a slow process. It's a bit like going to a bank and asking them to lend you £20 million which is even quite a cheap TV show, cost £20 million. Mm. And so I'm very, very aware that when we go to these networks, we're, we're sort of saying, hi, can I have my £20 million now? And more often than not, they say no. And, you know, I've had so many no's. I've had a no for Meat Market already. I've had a no for Clean already. And so then the rights came back to me. And so we we are working on a new vision, a new series. I'm not allowed to say very much about it, but um, it will be called Wonderland. And I'm in charge, which is cool. I'm, you know, I've been working in TV for long enough now that they trust me to be in charge. And I'm working with a team of really super talented young writers, very diverse writers room as well. I think this show could be really, really good. Like, I think we've got all the talent in the world involved, but it's we're still asking them for £20 million. So um, <laughs> let's, let's see, but it's good. The show we're working on is really good. It's time to see more positive trans people on television. We'll get there. Things are different in America. You know, when, when I speak to TV people in LA, they are shooketh at the level of transphobia in the UK. And that's, I think, that's why, again, not naming names, but why certain transphobic people really shat themselves. Because I think they thought 
they had global support for their opinions. And that's why people in Australia, people in America, people around Europe look at what's going on in the UK with horror. And if you look at, you know, the New York Times, the New Yorker, are writing really well thought out, really well researched pieces about what the fuck is going on in the UK. And actually, American, if we look at Pose, Euphoria, even things like Transparent, you know, are, are very trans positive. You know, a real desire to get trans actors on television, to get trans writers in writers' rooms. I've been working with a number of projects in America as well, and they they think I'm an amazing gold nugget. Like we found an amazing trans screenwriter. Let's get her in. You know, we need we need more trans writers. So um it's a matter of time. We will get there. I do believe that even when things are really shit. I do believe that things will get better. Oh, I love you so much. Um, Stay safe. Send our love to Max. And thanks for coming on again and on Gay Again. Yay. Anytime. Take care. Bye. Bye. Uh, Thanks for listening, babes. Do the admin and support Gay and Non-Gay. Visit gaynongay.com slash donate.